All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Sandra Rodriguez. Uh, Sandra is a bilingual communications expert and the author of Choose to Prevail, a motivational book for people who normally don't like motivational books. Sandra also writes on topics ranging from finance to entertainment for different media outlets in both the US and Mexico. She appears as a host in videos for lifestyle website Encinco and multimedia company Heart of Hollywood Motion Pictures. Sandy is a formal, uh, former editorial coordinator for Mexican newspaper Reforma, one of the most influential publications in Latin America and has translated tens of books from English to Spanish for major publishing houses. These include medical, self-help, and business books, one with the forward by a former American president. Novels and titles focused on spirituality or personal growth by popular authors such as Louise Hay, Nick Vujic, uh, uh, not even gonna pronounce that last name, and Neil Donald Walsh. Uh, Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Toby. It's an honor to be here. I love your show. Fascinating guests. Wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Well, let's let's kind of start uh, with with sort of your inspiration behind why why you wrote the book. The you're you're an author of the book Choose to Prevail, and I really like the 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 sort of the title about a motivational book for people who don't like motivational books. So tell me tell me a little about that. Um, what what inspired you to start uh, or wanting to write that? Absolutely, Toby. Well, here's the thing. Because of my um, life story and the fact that I move in different fields and I've lived in different countries, I feel that I know a lot of people of different ages, all genders, all styles, all ethnicities. And for whatever reason, Toby, a couple of years ago, even before COVID, many of them were telling me that they were feeling particularly stressed out or depressed. And I found that very surprising because in my view, at least, I can see them and they seem very successful, very like they have it together. They seem very happy. And I thought, well, that's quite strange. And I thought it doesn't make sense for these people that really should be more confident not to be feeling the way that they should, which is more empowered, more with more in control of their their fate, more um, more relaxed. So I thought I'll write a book that they might uh, enjoy, and that might be helpful. Now, the other thing is that most of my friends are not the type of people that would normally gravitate toward self-help as a, as a category when selecting reading material. So I thought I'll do something a little bit different. So while it is a motivational book, it's meant to be a book that might appeal to people that would normally not uh, gravitate toward that kind of a book. Sure. What, uh, tell me about like, what, what do you feel like is, is maybe problematic about sort of the, the kind of classical self-help books and why, you know, it was important to, to sort of capture that audience that normally isn't into those type of books, but still write one that, that is going to be, you know, kind of a motivational book getting your point across. I think what happens in many books, and again, not to specifically uh, speak poorly of the category as a whole, and certainly not to speak poorly about a specific author or book, but I would say that in general, many uh, books tend to be written from the place of uh, an all-knowing entity or this expert that has 
all the answers and the reader feels, well, I'm doing things wrong. I, I'm, I'm really, uh, they feel like they're being scolded. They feel like they're being nagged. And I wanted to do something different. A lot of people, a lot of reviewers and, and readers in general have mentioned that the experience of reading this book is not so much um, as sitting down with a book, but rather the experience is like sitting down with a friend for a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or even a shot of tequila and just hashing out what is on their mind and having their friend be supportive and their friend giving them um, pointers on what they could try and and normally people once they're done reading the book claim to feel uh, more of a sense of confidence more of a sense of well-being more of a sense of agency and personal power and that's what I try to instill um, throughout the book which is meant to be not so much uh, a how-to guide like do this do that but more of a starting point for exploration. Try this, I've tried that, this has worked for me, this has not worked for me. And then people are free to follow their own path. Awesome. Well, let's, let's kind of back up a little bit and if you could kind of tell me about your own path a bit and just kind of your journey to getting to where you are today. It, you know, just from, from the introduction, you know, you have a very interesting story. Um, so tell me a little kind of, uh, you know, your, your progression up until getting to the point where you felt like you had a lot to share and wanted to really write this book. Thank you so much, Toby. Yes. Well, I think that one of the things that are a little bit out of the ordinary in my story is that I walked away from a very successful career, perhaps when I was at the height of my career. I used to be an editorial coordinator for one of the foremost newspapers in Latin America, and it was uh, a passion for me. This was a career that I really enjoyed. However, for personal reasons, not professional reasons, I decided to step away from that uh, maybe 16 years in and just move to um, the United States, to Los Angeles specifically. Now, the reason for this move was um, more personal than anything else. I had been a crime victim a couple of times back in my old city. Not to say that that is the norm where I used to live, but that was just my experience. So I had uh, personal concerns for safety. Then additionally, I had had a child and I could not continue outsourcing his care to nannies or relying on help from family members. So I did need something that was a little bit more laid back. And upon moving to LA, what I found was that I would need to shift careers. The thing is that when I moved here, that was precisely the, his, the point in history when bloggers were becoming very popular and a lot of content creators were creating wonderful content for free. So there really was not much room to find gainful employment in, in the media, at least not in, in journalism and in the written media. I did get invited to a number of very interesting projects, but let's just uh, say that these were more uh, activities that required volunteers. And they were fascinating, of course, but I needed to establish some sort of a career. And I was able to make a very smooth transition to something entirely different, which ended up being court interpreting, which is something very specific that I had never even heard of before. And 
a lot of people think that's uh, out of the ordinary because sometimes people have been stuck in a career that they dislike and they're just afraid to move past that because they think, well, what's out there, it might be difficult, it might be impossible, you know, at my age or, uh, you know, the job market. Well, I'm here to tell you, and in the book, I also, that's something I want to impress on the reader, that changes uh, to your lifestyle can be possible at any age. Um, that was at least my experience, and I believe it's possible for all. So that's one of the things that I wanted to, to let people know um, in the book. Also, Toby, I have been, you know, I've lived through a number of things that have been difficult. I experienced uh, the death of my father. It was a very tragic death. Also, my younger brother, also my closest female friend, also my uh, a makeup artist that worked with me that was also my friend. So a number of, of very shocking situations that were hard to overcome. And I was able to Let's just say, I wouldn't say that there's anything good to be gained. I mean, certainly some things are too horrible to, to be explained away. But I do think that these types of things gave me a perspective on life that might be a little bit unique in the sense that if I'm, let's say, stuck in traffic or there's a long line at the supermarket or somebody uh, blocked me on social media or something minor of the sort, I do feel that in the grand scheme of things, these, uh, these things are not something to lose sleep over, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me, one of the, the interesting things are just kind of reading through uh, your podcast guest's bio. Um, I, I saw one of the, one of the topics um, basically about, um, let me uh, just find it here. Um, here it is. So why having haters could be flattering. Tell me, tell me a little about that. There, there is another one, bene, uh, the benefits of letting others see unusual sides of your personality. Those, those couple of things, maybe we could touch first on uh, why having haters could be flattering. So tell me a little about the, the idea behind that. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. The only way to avoid haters at all costs is to be completely bland, completely blah completely uninteresting and completely unremarkable. Every time that you do something that's a little bit outside of the norm, a little bit interesting, a little bit unusual, that's going to be polarizing up to a certain point. Perhaps there are degrees, certainly. But the only way to avoid all haters is to be completely forgettable and completely ignored. And that's not something you want. I'm thinking to put it in, in, in terms that are uh, very clear to understand. For example, a piece of dry toast. I don't think many people can claim to hate a piece of dry toast. That wouldn't even make sense. But on the other hand, a piece of dry toast is really not something people would consider crave-worthy or to obsess about. There's nothing exciting about a piece of dry toast. Absolutely not. So just the fact that there are some haters out there well, that speaks to the fact that people are interested in you or looking at you, that there's something about you that's attracting attention. So in that sense, it could be considered flattering up to a point. Now, there's another thing. Um, sometimes a situation that involves a hater 
might actually lead to something better. And I do have an example about that. I have a friend, a, a businesswoman that owns a multimedia company. And there was this time when uh, a hater also became a hacker. And this person hacked into her social media and they did something that they assumed would cause, uh, you know, tremendous problems. What they did, what this person did is that he or she found a photograph of a topless woman that vaguely resembled the, the owner of the company. And she kind of obscured the face and she posted these topless pictures on all of the businesswoman's social media. Of course, her intention was, his or her intention was to shock uh, visitors or maybe, you know, damage the company's reputation. However, this particular businesswoman is uh, the type of person that takes everything in stride. So what happened was that she calmly called IT, the, the hacker got, you know, bumped off of her, her social media. The pictures were quickly removed. And then the businesswoman took this opportunity to do a live stream in which she addressed um, the importance of female participation in business, also uh, the female body in the media and whatever, um, you know, she addressed a number of topics surrounding the whole issue of what she had been tr through. And it became a very interesting conversation that wouldn't have taken place without this person being a hitter and turning into a hacker and trying to wreak havoc. It actually did not turn out that way at all. It ended up being something very favorable for, for my friend's company. Right, right. And then let's let's jump to the that second part of the, the question that I wanted to ask you about um, basically the, the benefits of letting other people see unusual sides of your personality. Tell me what you mean by that. Of course, I think that that has a lot to do with what we just discussed. I think that one, um, let me go back a little. I think that a lot of people suffer from tremendous social anxiety and certainly public speaking is a widespread fear. I used to have that myself when I was younger until I came to realize that most people are not paying attention to you at all, ever, at any time. So in reality, there's no need to be tremendously self-conscious because people are just not paying that much attention. And it's very easy to prove if you or your listeners can think about a person they normally come across over the course of a day, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor, and you try to think, okay, what was that person wearing the last three times I saw that person? I really don't think anybody can remember with any degree of accuracy. And, and that's even with people we know and we like and we interact with regularly. People are not paying much attention. So going back to why it's important to show uh, the more unusual sides of your personality, I think totally that it's very necessary to do so if we do not want to blend into the woodwork completely. Seeing that people are really not paying that much attention, if we take extra pains to hide everything that makes us unique well that makes us tremendously tremendously forgettable and uh actually the only way to become um more influential more memorable and more efficient as a communicator or in anything that we do is to actually let our authentic personality shine through now here's the thing some people try to force it or fake it and 
say, okay, in order to really attract attention or to be more memorable, I need to be uh, weird or wacky or do something that's out of the ordinary, like on purpose. I don't think that really works. I think it only works if it's natural to you. Otherwise, it would not be sustainable over the long course. But in reality, it's those little perks that make people stand out. And the other thing is that it, when you show whatever makes you unique, it weeds out other people. For instance, when, when you're trying to tone down everything that's special about you, sure, you might be welcome or at least not unwelcome in pretty much any circle, but really you, you will not be, uh, you will, it would be very difficult for you to stand out in any way. Whereas if you show your own quirks or if you show sides of your personality that might be unusual, like maybe an unusual hobby, initial viewpoint, even an unusual way of speaking, surely that might uh, not be appealing to everyone. Of course it won't be. That's why sometimes uh, people do become a little polarizing. But the people that do like you or that are attracted to your quirks, those are the people you want to surround yourself with. And not only when it comes to friendship, but even when it comes to uh, your profession and your career, there might be things that are unusual about yourself and the right company or the right employer will also value that definitely. Got it. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point you bring up about um, people kind of, you know, forcing, uh, you know, trying to get attention by being, you know, particularly flamboyant or, or just, uh, you know, doing things for the sake of getting attention rather than if they were just authentic and, and displayed kind of who they actually are, that would probably gain them attention because I think it's, it's rare, in my opinion, it's rare to see people who are actually themselves and not pretending to be, you know, someone who they're not. Exactly. And it's very interesting because sometimes we're afraid to let, for example, let's say that we're new to a company or just new to a city and we want to fit in with a specific uh, clique or group. Normally we might think, okay, if, if I let them see this side of my personality or this rather unpopular opinion that I have, well, I might not be welcome. And it's true, you might not be, but if if this uh, group is really not in line with who you are, that's not really the group you want to be with anyway. Not to say that you don't have to be, you know, diplomatic and polite and everything, of course, of course. But the thing is that sometimes things as, as minor, as for instance, a taste in music, sometimes people hide even that kind of thing because they feel, no, 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 this is so odd. People might not like that. And that doesn't even make sense because when you let people see uh, who you are, you, you will find that there are more people like you than you initially thought. And it, it's quite interesting. It's, it really is a way to attract attention in a positive way for the most part. What do you think, do you have thoughts about what originally, uh, or what initially causes people to, to feel the need to, to be someone that they're not? Because it's something I've, I've had a conversation or several conversations with friends about this, but, you know, it definitely seems like kind of growing up and, you know, as, as you're a kid and going into, you know, middle school and high school, it's not necessarily uh, cool or, uh, you know, or a good thing to be yourself. You know, it's, it's what you need to do is to fit in. Um, to be like other people. And it seems like a lot of people kind of continue uh, 
with that mindset, even like into adulthood, where they're still trying to, you know, do things to impress other people, and they're not really being themselves. So that's at least my my thoughts on the situation. Do you have do you have any ideas as far as why why people kind of get into into that uh, sort of inauthentic state? I think you're absolutely right with your observation. I, I agree that I have seen the same thing happen. And for instance, in, in my situation, growing up, I lived in a number of places. Uh, as, a, as a child, I lived in Puerto Rico. I lived in Philadelphia. I lived in Mexico City, different places, different schools as well. And like you were saying, when you're little, elementary school, middle school, high school, of course, what you want to do is fit in. You want to to be cool. But here's the thing. When you're moving around, it's almost impossible to understand social cues. Maybe, uh, let's say that at one school you figured out, oh, this is cool and this other thing is cool. But then you switch schools and now whatever you thought was cool is no longer the cool thing over here. So it's it's really very uh, stressful for a, for a young child or a teenager to go through that. But here's the thing, people do uh, need to uh, grow up in the sense that, yes, when you're very young, it's very, very hard to just be as authentic as, as you could be because people are normally struggling with their own self-identity and whatnot at that age. But once you're in, into your uh, late teens, into adulthood, you really do need to drop the old story. I've seen th this happen many times that people um, feel that they need to carry whatever was going on uh, in, their, in their youth up into their uh, later years, middle age and, and, and such. But that doesn't really serve any purpose. For instance, in my case, as an adult, I was very much afraid to let uh, many of my quirks show uh, when I was uh, starting my, 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 out in my career. Specifically, there's something that might not be noticeable in English, but in Spanish, I do have a, a way of speaking that's very distinctive. Now, sometimes I try to tone down verbal mannerisms in order to just speak in a way that was a little bit more uh, normal or in line with other people I interacted with, but then I thought that's not my natural way of speaking. It's going to be very stressful to tone it down. And when I decided to just speak the way I speak, and that's the, just the way it is, I became uh, very much in demand in in uh, in the media and in journalism specifically because that is uh, a field where an original way of expressing yourself is prized rather than looked down upon. So it ended up being quite useful. Uh, I think that the reason people continue having those uh, carrying over those fears from the past or those limitations from the past goes back to what we were discussing, that sometimes we feel very self-conscious because as adults, we think everybody's staring, everybody's watching, everybody's interested. And the truth is that people are not. Even if, um, even if we actually should be the center of attention. Let's say that we are, uh, uh, I don't know, a person on a, on a sports team and we're being watched by our fans. Our fans are not watching uh, every individual player 
100% of the time. Like if you go to a sporting event, you're not focused on the quarterback or the batter 100% of the time. Your mind, your mind might wander or you might check your phone or you might uh, speak with your companion. You might get up and get a snack. So the idea that people are constantly, constantly staring at us and judging us harshly is a little bit overblown. I think that there is the perception that we are being judged to a degree that is far higher than is the reality. So that's something that's important to keep in mind. People are not as interested in watching our every move as we believe that they are. That's one thing. And then the other thing is that identity is really not fixed. It can be changed at any time. Your uh, self-concept can be changed at any time and it should be changed if whatever you have, um, uh, whatever beliefs you have about yourself are not serving you well at any point in time, they can be changed. Of course they can. For instance, let's talk about something that might seem superficial, but it's really impactful on people's lives, which is their physical appearance or their appeal toward the opposite sex. A lot of people, male and women, were not considered the hot guy or the hot girl when they were growing up. Quite the opposite. They might have been considered uh, you know, the wallflower or the nerd or whatever the case may be. And then they blossom, they're ugly ducklings. And then they grow up and all of a sudden they find themselves pursued by, by many. And they're like, this is super strange. I never had that experience in the past. But it can happen and it does happen. And I've seen it happen countless times. Often when you speak with, for instance, models or, or many celebrities, they mention that that was indeed their experience growing up. They were never considered attractive. And now all of a sudden they find themselves uh, considered sex symbols. And it's, it's something that happens. It absolutely happens. One should never believe that, that whatever your situation was or your uh, place in the social hierarchy or however you want to express it was when you were in high school. That does not need to carry over into, into adulthood. There's no need to. Right. No, and I, I really like, I, I was just kind of connecting what you were, you were a previous point that you were just making kind of about, you know, psychologically, your self-concept not being this fixed, you know, thing that's part of your identity. It's it's this fluid, ever-evolving, uh, you know, kind of uh, fluctuating uh, thing. And and same with your appearance. So it, it almost is like, you know, both both internally and externally, we're not, you know, necessarily... Uh, the same person that we were yesterday or the same person we were a year ago or five years ago. We're, we're always evolving. Absolutely. And the thing is that both uh, internally and externally, you can make change happen intentionally or you can, or even if you do nothing, it happens organically. So you should never assume that a situation is fixed. Much like, um, Sometimes people, going back to the appearance thing, because I think this is interesting, sometimes people here in, in the Western world especially feel that um, they're concerned about aging. They're very concerned because they think, oh, well, I'm going to lose my looks. I'm not going to be attractive anymore. That's kind of not exactly the way it works. I have personally seen a number of people who are by all objective measures more physically attractive in their 40s, 50s, 60s than in their teens or 20s. And that's something that can be achieved either by choice or by chance. So it's not something that, that 
should concern people? Because I know that that's something that weighs heavily on, on both men and women, even though it's not discussed very often. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what do you think as far as, uh, is there, do you think that it, it sometimes is a motivator people who did kind of, you know, struggle, uh, regardless of whether that was, you know, internally or externally, uh, kind of earlier in life that, you know, potentially is going to give them the motivation to really kind of change things and, and become the person that they maybe wanted to be back, you know, in high school or growing up, but were never able to be. Oh, it's very likely, it's very likely that it can serve as uh, something that can light a fire under you. For instance, let's think of people that were very unathletic growing up, and maybe they were picked last for the team, and that caused them grief at, uh, up to a certain degree. There are two things that can happen once they grow up and that normally tend to happen. One is that they continue down that path and just say, well, that's just me. I'm just lazy. I'm just a couch potato. I, um, I'm just very unathletic. And they continue moving down that path. Or the second possibility, which is also something that I'm sure you have also seen, uh, they think, okay, well, maybe that used to be me, but that's not me anymore. And all of a sudden, they're doing Ironman, they're doing a triathlon, they're doing a marathon, they're doing all kinds of things, they're completely ripped, they're gym um, enthusiasts, and all of a sudden, it's like the, they go to the opposite end of the of the um, continuum. And it's, it's very interesting. Certainly, uh, it can be a motivating force. If something was not to your liking when you were younger, you can change it. And I mean, like, completely change it. Do a complete 180. I have certainly seen that happen and experienced it myself also. Right. Let's, let's move on, um, or sort of switch gears a little bit. Uh, there was another uh, piece that I wanted to touch on uh, about sort of being able to, um, uh, or why actually, why extremely sad thoughts are the antidote to everyday annoyances. So tell me about, uh, tell me about like the, the reasoning behind that. Absolutely, Toby. See, remember that I was telling you about um, the situations that I've had where a lot of people in my life have passed away, untimely deaths, very tragic deaths. Um, I think that Unfortunately, everybody has some degree of tragedy in their lives. Everybody experiences some uh, major difficulty at some point or some tragedy at some point. Now, here's the thing. When you look toward your own life and you remember things that have been nothing short of tragedies, that causes anything minor to fade away in importance. I can't say that it will cause you to be completely zen. Like, for example, in, in my own case, I can't say, well, because I look through something terrible, uh, I will never, ever get annoyed during, uh, you know, everyday life. Of course, that's not the case. But certainly, when something is, is bothering me or just something that I find annoying, I sit down and I give it a little thought and I think, okay, how does this compare to that other thing that happened? And it really minimizes minimizes any any stress or any annoyance that I might be feeling. And 
I think that's a tool that people can use in their in their own lives as well. Not to say that you always need to be focusing on terrible tragedies that you have lived through. Of course not. But I think that anything that has been devastating in your life or very, very difficult on you really does help you put other types of things into perspective. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well said. Sandra, I want to... I wanna, uh basically ask you kind of uh, or touch on one last uh, subject because we are coming up on the end of the show but tell me about uh, ideas to minimize existential angst and nagging thoughts that's a that's a particularly interesting subject for me because I mean existential I, I took a, a course a philosophy course in college uh, on existentialism and found it really fascinating and very relatable uh, just in terms of kind of uh, anxiety, existential anxiety that I've had in my own life. So tell me, tell me about that. Uh, maybe if we can kind of break down just for the listeners, kind of what existential angst actually is first, and then kind of ways to minimize it. Well, absolutely. I think what happens is that often people are very concerned about what the meaning of their own life is. This might sound a little bit lofty, but it is a kind of thing that can keep people up at night. When you're lying in bed and you're wondering where where is my life going? What does it mean? Why am I here? These are thoughts that might seem a little bit um, profound. They are profound. And they are things that cause uh, many people a great degree of distress. Now, what I find, I don't know if you would agree, is that to some degree, you can frame this in a way uh, that's a little bit more positive. Firstly, if you're having these types of thoughts, which are indeed nagging, which can certainly keep people up at night and kind of pop into their mind at any time. Okay, if you're having these types of thoughts, firstly, that means that you have the time and the capacity for profound self-reflection which is something not everybody has. So at least that way that you could say that you're doing better than most. So that's something that that I feel is is important. Now, as to how to quell these thoughts, well, one thing is to understand that life in general does seem more meaningful when you're in service to others. And I think many people that have volunteered or that have offered help in other ways too, to the less fortunate have felt that their life does indeed have more meaning, but it doesn't necessarily uh, have to be that everybody needs to go that far, go that route in order to feel uh, more at peace. Another thing that can that people can do or try is simply to look at things that they have. For instance, if somebody has ever loved you um, or you have made somebody's life better, that means something. That means that your life did have meaning. It did have a reason for being. It definitely did. So that's something that's that's um, important right there, knowing that things do have a meaning and not necessarily because we fulfilled these, uh, we met these extremely uh, unattainable goals. It can be something smaller. It can be just making one person happy. If you made one person happy throughout your lifetime, that was more than enough. However, there are other things that we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about these existential thoughts that pop into into our minds. 
something that that's also very true is that these thoughts tend to come up when we feel that our lives did not pan out the way that we expected them to. So a very good tool in these situations is to think about the possible paths that we didn't take and see, uh, this might seem a little bit like the fox and the grapes, but think about what could have gone wrong had we gone down those paths. Maybe there would have been something that we would have liked, but possibly many things that we would have not. And we also need to take a look at our own current life, but not focusing on what's missing, not focusing on what's wrong, not focusing on what's still left to do, but more on what we have achieved, on what, on what has been completed, on what our um, successes have been. That quells anxiety uh, to, an, to a certain degree. Another thing that's very important in order to do away with these thoughts, or at least put them on the back burner, is to focus not so much on the future or on the present, I'm sorry, not on the past or, or on the present, but to start uh, planning measurable goals, measurable goals for the future going forward, something we can measure, something that every week, every day, we can see we're moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. So we're moving in a direction that will be satisfactory, that we can see that something is going well. And it can be something as small as saying, um, maybe a plan to increase our physical endurance or something of that nature. And that really helps calm uh, thoughts of, of um of existential uh distress it's very important to do those those exercises everybody can do them in their own in their own way that's something very very important and lastly another thing that i have seen that helps very well with quelling these types of thoughts is to engage in an activity that occupies your mind in a positive manner and that's constructive. In many cases, that can be reading. Reading occupies your mind like pretty much no other activity does, even more so than art, even more so than listening to music. It absorbs your mind in such a way that any nagging thought that you don't want there disappears for the time being. So I think those are tools that can be very helpful. Great. Awesome. Well, Sandra, I really enjoyed talking with you today. Um, for, for listeners who uh, enjoyed our conversation, where can they find more about your work uh, or get your book? Thank you so much, Toby. Well, my book, Choose to Prevail, is available on all major platforms. It's available on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, Target.com, Walmart.com. It's also available through a website called heartofhollywoodmagazine.com. Uh, in that um, website, you can find both signed copies and logo t-shirts. Um, but overall, um, pretty much any platform is uh, you will be able to find to find the book. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, for those uh, listeners who enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. You can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else you can find uh, audio podcasts that are available. Uh, Sandra, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, really enjoyed our, our discussion. Thank you so much, Toby. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely.